you have your Bibles, take them and let's turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, Jesus, first place in everything, the preeminent Christ, saturating every aspect of our lives, standing in awe of who Christ is, that's the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 1, though we won't touch on all these this morning during the message. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, Wives, submit to, you know, actually, let's back up one. Whatever you do, let's start in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands, As is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. God cares about our home life. I like to do magic tricks um, for my kids, and for my skill level of magic, once you get to be about two years old, it no longer works. My two youngest, uh, you know, they they, they just get this exhilarating excitement when I I do a magic trick. Uh, So for example, for my youngest, I like like to stand in a doorway and hold a blanket over myself and, you know, pull it it down and I'm there and pull it up and down and I'm there. And then one time I'll, when I drop it, I'll go behind, go into the bedroom real quick and I'll be gone, you know, just see his eyes like, you know, what happened? Or I'll take a coin and, you know, pretend, you know, I'm not good, but just pretend to pull it out of your ear and, you know, the exhilarating excitement for my two youngest, but for my two oldest, the girls, they... They just—they know what's going on. They know all the tricks. They know how it's done, um, and so for them, you know, magic is is not as as exhilarating and exciting. Uh, the glory of my magic fades quickly. Like I said, once you get to be about two years old or older, it just kind of goes away. And and I was thinking about that excitement that my kids have when they're younger, when they're first starting out in life, and they see a magic trick. And, and uh, something they can't explain, something they don't know how it happened. But as you get older, the, the glory fades away. And I was thinking many times that's, that's what happens with our families and our marriages and our parenting. We start out the journey and, and we're excited and we've got, we're, we're, we've got this exhilaration and we're ready to go for marriage life. And, and the kids start coming and we have little babies in the first one and it's, it's all just excitement and joy. And then... Time goes on, and we kind of start seeing how life really works the more sinners you add to the family. And that excitement and that amazement 
is no longer there. And maybe we say things like, we've just lost the spark. Or the flame isn't there anymore. Have you ever said that? Well, God cares about your home. And God cares about your family. And he wants you to continue to discover the wonderful things Jesus brings to your family. And that's our goal today. So what Paul is doing here, how did we end up with wives, husbands, fathers, children, all this stuff? And, and really, uh, back in those days, even the, the slave and the master would have been part of the home. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to separate those two over the next couple of weeks and just focus on um, uh, wives, husbands, children's and, children, and parents this morning. And how did we get here? Well, the flow of the book of Colossians, all the way back in chapter 1, Paul takes, here's what Paul does, he's taking everything that he's been saying Uh, In chapter 1, the preeminence of Christ over all creation. Uh, Then in chapter 1, a little bit into chapter 2, the preeminence of Christ in Paul's ministry. And then remember in chapter 2, we talked a lot about the preeminence of Christ over these empty religions and these empty philosophies and these empty disciplines. And then he talks, like we just got done studying earlier in chapter 3, the preeminence of Christ in our personal lives. And now the logical next step is... What does it look like for Jesus to be first place in your home and in your community? So why is a passage like this important? Why is a passage like this important to us today? Well, look at my own life. I have four tyrannical children and an especially tyrannical one-and-a-half-year-old. And this passage is here to tell us Who does what and what their role is in the home? And who should have first place, namely Jesus Christ? Now, I want to make this very very clear on the outset. This context, what he's talking about here, he's talking about Christian families. He's talking about Christian families. So he's not even addressing the role of men and women, like in society in general. Paul here is talking to Christian families. Now, our homes are where we are our true selves. Our homes is where we really show who we are. And our homes is where all the things we've been learning about in chapter 3, all these different characteristics, all these virtues, those are, the home is the place where those should shine the brightest. But often, it's the place where they shine the dimmest. We don't because we, we don't tend to put on a show at home. We come to church and we put on a show. Uh, we, we hide ourselves. We hide our, our failures and our, and our you know, weird tendencies or habits or whatever it might be. But when we're at home, the real us comes out. And our spouse and our children, they, they see us for who we really are. Now before we get into this passage, we have to make note of the state of the family today. Because Satan hates the family, especially Christian families. Satan knows that the most important earthly institution that God has ever established is the home. Which is, and our government knows it too. Which is why our government, seems like every time you turn the corner, the government is getting a little inching closer and closer to taking complete control of the children and of the family. Because they, the government knows you get the family, you get society. Satan knows you get the family, you get society. 
And so Satan wants us to lose control of the family. But it's the most important institution, earthly institution, that God has designed. Far before establishing an earthly government, God established the family. Before establishing the church or a community of God's people called out of the world, God established the family. And so we can say, why is our country the way it is? Why is all this going on? Why are all these, 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 these murders and these attacks and these, these blame games and all this stuff going on, all this turmoil we see in our country? It can be traced to the destruction of the home. When the family is diminished, when roles are reversed, when the family is destroyed, so also will be the society, so also will be the nation. And so I want to focus in on you and me this morning, because that's what this passage is going to do. Because we can be, we're always so tempted, aren't we, to get so mad at society, so mad at our nation, so mad at our government. And get mad at all the chaos going on in our country, while ignoring the chaos that's going on in our own very homes. And so this passage, and this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to help you. I want to call on you, and I want to make a call to myself to be active in cultivating Christian homes. What kind of home do you have? What kind of home do you have? Is it a self-centered home? A child-centered home? A comfort-centered home? An entertainment-centered home? Or do you have a Jesus-centered home? Jesus gives no allowance for arrogant and domineering husbands, no allowance for arrogant and domineering wives, and no allowance for arrogant and domineering children. All these relationships are mentioned in the context of Jesus being Lord, which brings us to the most important question when it comes to your home, is Jesus Lord of your home? Is Jesus Lord of your home? Or is he just Lord of your Sundays? So Paul here is going to show how four members of the family can demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of their home. Okay, Paul shows how four members of the family can demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of their home. Let's get right into it. Number one, wives, submit to your husband. Wives, submit to your husbands. There's no doubt about it, scripture makes it very clear that men and women are equal before God in value and in their position in Christ, but they serve in different roles. So when we come to this topic of marriage, it's not a discussion on who's superior and who's inferior. We're talking about the roles of the husband and wife, and so the word submit here Uh, which I know has been hijacked in a lot of different ways, and we're not going to get into all the different ways that it's been hijacked and all this stuff. We're just going to look at what the Bible says. Okay, the word submit means to to voluntarily place yourself under. It's the exact same word used in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, where it says when Jesus was a child, it says, remember he had that whole whole thing with the the temple and all that stuff, and his parents come back and find him, and and, uh, it said from that day on, Jesus submitted to his parents. The exact same word. It was kind of this, this voluntary placing himself under their authority and leadership. 
It's also used in Romans 13, verse 1 and 5, where it talks about Christians being subject to their governing authorities. It's that same idea. We are to voluntarily place ourselves under the authority and rule of our government. And so here, the wife is to yield to the husband the responsibility of family leadership. I mean, even the the whole concept of the Christian life is submission to one another, but as it pertains to the wife in marriage, it's it's the idea here, she is just as as eagerly to submit to her husband as she is to submit to Jesus Christ. The wife here is being called to adjust and adapt, to to help make things work, to to help find the win-win in situations, even... At a personal price. That's submission. That's what submission means. Now this is not absolute submission. Obviously in all of this. No matter what we're talking about. Obedience to God always trumps obedience to man. So this submission. Does not apply to. Um, to uh, sin or abuse. Christian wife is first subject to the Lord. Now, we're not going to take time to turn back there. I'm going to trust that you maybe have an idea of what's going on in the book of Genesis. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when when God first created the woman, here's what the Lord said. It said, the Lord God said, it is not good, and that's the first time the Lord called something as creation not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Here's how Ray Ortland, when he's commenting on this passage, here's, here's what he says. He says, the woman was made to complement and support the man and to strengthen his exertions for God in this world. The idea is, is, go live for God. You go do it, my godly man beast. You go do it. You know, live for the Lord. I think that's what he meant. The man, he needed a companion like himself and yet unlike himself as the friend and ally he could absolutely depend on. Wives, can your husbands depend on you to be his support, his strength, his friend, and his ally? In today's world, a woman who loves Jesus and shows unapologetic support, friendship, and help to her husband is going to stand out as weird. I remember when I was doing physical therapy um, on my neck uh, over a year ago or so. Um, I remember I was there. I was the only one in there, and, and the two two uh, two women were in there, the the physical therapist, and they were having a conversation together. And, and the the one the one lady was just was just going off on how she said I'm gonna something like I'm gonna plan my weekend, and he's gonna have to figure out what to do with the kids. He's you know just kind of I'm tired of of orchestrating my life around him. I'm not even gonna tell him what I'm doing. I'm just gonna you know kind of leave it up to him. Now I don't know the whole story. Nor did I ask, nor did I get involved. Uh, she was working on my neck, people. Uh, so so uh, I just kind of let it go. But I was, I was sitting there thinking, this guy's probably got some issues too, of course. I wonder how happy that marriage is. You know, in those words, and again, I don't know the whole story. I don't know if this is something that engulfs her entire being as a wife, but where, where's... 
Where's the friendship? Where's, where's the ally? Where's the support? Where's, where's, the, where's, the, where's the, the dependence there? But that's just it. The message women get today is that the role of supporter, helper, ally, and friend is tantamount to being dirt. But the roles of husband and wife came from a good and wise God. This is why, wives, this is why you fulfill your role. Not because your husband is worth, if you wait around for your husband to be totally worthy of your friendship and support and encouragement and ally, you're going to be waiting a while. My guess is your husband is somewhat of a worldly sinner. And so we can't base it on that. It's got to be founded on the fact That God, it comes from God's loving hand. We obey because your Father in heaven designed you for this role. Now I do, I'm going to, Genesis chapter 3 is going to go up on the screen for you. But here's the temptation for for wives. God says this even in his, uh, even in this, where he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Now notice this. Now, this is part of a curse. We have to ask ourselves why. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What is he saying here? God is saying that there will be an ongoing struggle between husband and wife. Their rebellion in the garden, Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, was going to have disastrous consequences for their relationship, and it's going to have disastrous consequences for every marriage that would take place after. First, as we see up there, the wife would have a sinful desire to oppose her husband and assert leadership over him, thus reversing God's plan for man's leadership. But there's something else in here, too. It's the last phrase. The husband would have the sinful desire to abandon the loving leadership he was called to and assert a distorted, selfish rule over his wife. Every marriage experiences conflict because, among other things, of course, husbands and wives often give in to the temptation to rebel against God in their God-given roles. We'll get to husbands soon, but wives specifically, this may play out by blackmail, guilt trips, nagging, silent treatment. Here's what Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15 talks about that kind of wife, where he says, God says in Proverbs, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. So the wife is called to a readiness, the support and yield to her husband's worthy leadership. And so the idea here in, in the book of Proverbs, this continual dripping on a rainy day, it's instead of a torch, the torture of a leaky Ruth, right? We've all heard the torture of a leaky faucet. Instead of that, the wife is to refresh her husband and create a home of refuge. Wives, submit to your husbands. Number two, the second member of the family that Paul addresses in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives. This is, husbands are to put the interests of their wives first. 
Interesting, isn't it? Because you would think when it says wives submit to your husbands, that means the husband's interests go first and then after that. No, part of being a loving husband is you put your wife's interests ahead of your own. And you accept who she is. It's a self-giving, self-restraining love. In other words, when my wife asks me for help with something, I should stop what I'm doing and go help. I tend to respond something like this when I'm asked for help. Well, can't you just do it? Or can't you just do it yourself? Why do you, why do you need me? That's, that's how I'm tempted to respond. And if you ask my wife, she may confirm that I actually have responded that way at times. But it's self-giving, self-restraining. It's a love that says, I'm going to give myself to you, to your wants, to your desires, to your needs. I'm going to help you. And in doing that, I'm going to restrain myself. I'm going to restrain my, I'm going to restrain my, my video games, my reading, my leisure activities, my fishing, my hunting, my shooting, whatever it is. That's the parallel passage in Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, you should love your wives as you love your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but, notice these words, nourishes and cherishes it. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and we don't have these on the screen, I'm not turning there, but 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says something similar. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So in those two verses, husbands are to nourish, cherish, and grow in their understanding of their wives. They are to care for them as co-heirs of heaven. That's your wife. Husbands, that's your wife. A co-heir of heaven with you. So they care for them. We're to care for our wives as co-heirs of heaven, as their best friend, and as their lifelong partner. And this is the joy. This is... Guys, did you know the Bible says that he wants you to enjoy life with your wife? Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. He wants you to enjoy life. I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 5, where it says something very similar. And this is in the context where he is giving a warning and a remedy against adultery. Uh, really a couple chapters in there, Proverbs 5, 6, 7, all warnings against adultery, addressing the man. Now listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Where he says, let your fountain be blessed, here's the word, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times, here's a word, with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Those words, rejoice, delight, be intoxicated. That's the description of a godly husband. 
towards his wife. Because here's the fact of the matter. We can't, we cannot, absolutely cannot enjoy our marriage if we are intoxicated with something else or someone else, whether it be another woman or our own selves. If what gets our intoxication is not our wife, but instead it's another woman or an addiction or even our own selves, we won't enjoy life and we won't enjoy our marriages. This is man's greatest temptation. This is man's greatest temptation right here. To ignore the beauty and the blessings and the good gifts that are from God that are right in front of him and go play in the pig pen. And we wonder, guys, why our marriage stinks. It may be us. No, no self-giving, no self-restraining, being intoxicated with everything else and anyone else and something else other than our wives. Now, I'm not saying this is a blanket statement that if, if you're enjoying your wife that there's not going to be any conflicts or that she won't turn her back on you. That's not what I'm saying. But there's the principle in Scripture here. Husbands, love your wives. Self-give of yourself. Restrain yourself. For the honor and the blessing of your wife. Further, I think this means that husbands should never place any burden on his wife that makes her bear the burden of him being his savior. You cannot place on her the burden of doing and being something that God never intended her for, for her to do or to be. That's another temptation. We for guys, you know, we kind of start to realize that we don't look all that great ourselves, or maybe we think we do look really good, and so we want to make sure that everybody else around us either makes us look better than we are, or, you know, makes, keeps, makes us keep looking good like we are. And so we place the burden on our wife, on our wife or even our kids, to look a certain way, to lose weight, to whatever, 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 to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way. And we place on them the burden of our happiness and our joy. And we crush them in the process. That is not loving Christ-like leadership. That is not loving Christ-like leadership. We're tempted to be harsh and resent her for who she is. We become bitter and angry when she might actually reveal she's actually human. Now, harsh husbands were actually typical in this day. When Paul was writing this to the Colossians, harsh husbands was pretty much expected and was pretty typical. And so what Paul is saying here, so if you're in the first century church and you're reading this for the first time, like, whoa, whoa, don't be harsh with them. Uh, That's what being a husband is. Paul is saying that is not valid. That is not a valid Christian home. Whatever culture says is not valid. Now, we might be on the complete other end of the harsh husband sort of thing, but it doesn't matter. Whatever culture says is not valid unless it aligns with Scripture. 
So Paul here is saying, he says, don't be harsh with them. Harsh husbands contradict God's designs. And I love what John MacArthur says on this passage, where he says, Paul tells husbands not to call their wives honey and then act like vinegar. And a strong word for you husbands that are full of vinegar Any man who abuses his wife verbally, mentally, physically, emotionally, or financially knows nothing of Christ. If that's you, you need to repent before God and before her. There's no room for it. No room for it in the Christian home. A man who's domineering and abusive like that knows nothing of Christ. Don't claim Christ to your family if that's how you behave. Our marriages must be founded on the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 5. And you might look at your marriage this morning and you say, it's a mess. I want you to know God is for your marriage. He created it. He brought you two together. You might say, well, it was through sin or it was through rebellion. I mean, if, if I was living a godly life, this wasn't probably how my life, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are right now, God has made it that way. So if you're in here this morning and you're saying, my marriage is a mess, there's selfish motives, hurtful words, waning communication, rolled eyes, slamming doors, and all of the rest, it's a mess. But if you're in Christ, it's his mess too. That's why, G- that's why we need Jesus, because he says, I will take your mess. Your messy marriage, regardless of the degree of messiness, is not beneath the God of this universe. And he's not waking, walking away from you, so you shouldn't either. We spent a lot of time on that. We're not going to spend as much time on the next uh, couple of relationships here. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And number three, children, obey your parents. N.T. Wright, he comments on this verse and says, in a couple of crisp sentences, Paul has said, in essence, what thousands of books on the upbringing of children have struggled to express. All right, this goes right back to Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given to you. All right, children, kids, listen up. This is for you. Okay, Paul is writing to kids. who they, He would assume that there would be children who knew Jesus as their savior. So kids, this is for you. This is God talking straight to you. You have responsibilities in your home. And at times you may not like it. But it's primarily to obey your parents. Notice what it says, in everything. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Now kids, I'm betting you only like to obey when it makes you happy or you get something out of obedience. Uh, But that's not really what God wants here. He wants you to obey fully. He wants you to obey immediately. He wants you to obey happily whatever your parents ask you to do, unless it's sinful. Your parents ask you to do something sinful, you need to tell them that God doesn't want them to ask you those things. And asking them asking you to clean your room is not sinful, okay? So (laughs) you got to do that. Sometimes you got to get out the shovel. And, uh, you know, cleaning rooms in my house is about a two-week project, uh, and uh, we try to get it done in sections. But children, obey. Obey because it pleases God. 
Kids, would you be willing to obey your parents just simply because it pleases God? Many times you obey because maybe you don't want to get in trouble or because there's a reward. Well, this verse says whether or not you're going to get in trouble or whether or not there's a reward at the end of this, you obey because you want to please Jesus. There's so many things God is trying to help you with as you learn to obey your parents. He's, he's teaching you what it means to be an adult. And he's teaching you how much you need Jesus. Because kids, you disobey, don't you? Just like adults, we disobey. And we get to learn how much we need Jesus through our disobedience. And we trust in Jesus and ask Jesus to help us and forgive us. So children, obey your parents. And as we get ready to work our way into the next section on parents, notice parents, it does not say, parents, obey your children. Parents, don't obey your children. Don't obey their fits. Don't obey their whines. Don't obey their demands. Don't obey their threats. Don't obey their screams. Don't obey their manipulations. You are not in the position to obey your kids. Your kids have been given the responsibility to obey you. Obey. Children, obey your parents. And once you move out of the house, you're kind of on your own. You're to honor your parents. There's maybe just a helpful word here about, you know, uh, something we talked to newlyweds about. There's something Amber and I have talked about in our own marriage. You know, how do, we, how do our parents now fit into our newly established uh, relationship, newly established family? It's very simple. Preference, the most important relationship in your life is your marriage. That's number one. It's no longer between you and your parents. So you honor them, uh, things like that. But if, if, if mom calls and, and says, uh, you know, wants to change up the plans on you, but your wife has something she already planned on doing, then, you know, you don't, you don't tell your wife, sorry, you know, mom called. I have to go, you know, go visit mommy or anything like that. No, you give preference to your wife. So let me, just, let me take the burden off any of you who may be thinking that. You give preference to your spouse over your parents. You honor them, you love them, yes, but you're no longer under there where you're called to obey everything that they tell you. Let's move on to the next one. Lastly, number four. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. And then he talks about fathers here, and in Hebrews 11.23, the same word is translated parents, but, you know, the idea here may, Paul probably understands that the father is going to take the lead here, but fathers or parents, do not provoke your children, or the word literally means to embitter them, lest they become discouraged. And this is so important. This is so important. We can, we can live in that, you know, kind of tough man attitude where we just say it doesn't really it doesn't really care it doesn't really matter what kids feel or what they think or how they respond to us or the fact that you know we're we're just crushing their spirits even back in this day where again the norm probably would have been not to give too much uh too much emphasis here on the kids or to give too much thought to how they feel but paul here is saying fathers don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged don't embitter them. I mean, this can happen in so many different ways. And here in a minute, we'll look at a list. But I mean, with constant nagging, with belittling of children. I mean, normally this stems from insecure parents. 
Parents embitter their children when they give verbal and nonverbal cues that they, they aren't that important. That that child is of little value. And so there must be genuine Christian love. Just like husbands, you're to love your wives, you're to love your kids. Our valuing of children, our valuing of children should not be based on who they ought to be. Like, oh, my, my you know, how many times have you said, you should know this already. I've told you a hundred times. When are you going to get it? Our valuing and love for our children should not be based on who they ought to be, nor should it be based on who they could be if they just tried a little harder. I'm thinking especially of the sports craze in America going on right now. We lived in, when we lived in, in Ankeny, it was, it was, I mean, all the kids did sports. I mean, they, parents are pouring out tons of money for sports, and I'm sure it's the same around here. You know, just hiring private coaches and going to special camps and traveling all over the country, you know, for Luter, little junior to shoot a basketball and going all in on all this stuff. And then, you know, to hear parents who are sitting in the stands and what often is the message that your child gets. It may not be what you're trying to tell them, but what, are they, what is it that they get? I would be accepted by daddy if I just tried a little harder. If I could hit the ball a little better, if I could shoot the ball a little better, if I could just score a touchdown, if I was just able to even be on the team. What kind, I mean, what are we doing here? It should be genuine love. Don't expect kids to act like adults. Help them, nurture them, teach them, discipline them in love. I'll give you a list of 10 things here on, on how do you know if you're disheartening or embittering or discouraging your children. We're not going to take time to walk through too many of these. You can write them down. But one is being quick to say no. Where we never, cons- we never consider their requests, it's just, it's just, you know, no, 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 no. Try to say yes as much as possible. Not spending time with them. I think there was a, there was a, there was a statistic that the, the average father spends like, 37 seconds a day, I mean, of actual engagement with their children. That's a way to discourage your children. Not taking their problems seriously. You ever said, oh, get over it? Not trusting them, being over, overprotective. You know, we've got to let our children, as they grow, uh, we've got to trust them, not be so overprotective. Favoritism, we only have to read the book of Genesis to figure out how that turns out. Unrealistic goals, here's my goal for your life. I mean, who cares that I have no idea how God has wired you? Who cares that I have no idea what your personality type is or your athletic ability or whatever? But here's, here's my goal for you. And we, we orient their lives based on our goal for them. That's a great way to discourage a child. No standards. To let kids just roam free, do whatever they want, that is a great way to discourage a child. Because they, no, they have no idea which end is up. They have no idea if, if, if their family, their, I mean, kids are actually seeing this. Their father doesn't love them enough to give them help, to know the, let them know boundaries and standards, how they should act, how they should talk. No praise. There's no honor, no reward for, for good behavior. Emphasizing weakness. Using them as weapons. 
with another parent, maybe in a divorce situation or whatever, where you, where you, you posit one kid, father against mother or mother against father, and you put the kid right in the middle and let them decide who's right, who's wrong, what they should be doing. I, mean, I was looking at this list and compiled these from a number of different sources, and I was, I was looking at these things even, even yesterday as my kids, you know, it seems like anytime you're, you're getting ready to preach on something like this, you get plenty of opportunities to show it, and my kids, you know, asking me for different things and, and giving me all these opportunities, and you know, like part of me is like, well, I'm going to need a good illustration for Sunday, so I better say yes, uh, and, uh, and, uh, which is terrible motive, but you know, we look at these and say, man, I just go through this, and at different times, we can do all these, and we're discouraging our children. It caused me to reflect on my own responses these past few days. And, re- and it caused me to reflect on parenting in the Christian home in America in general today. And here's a question that came to mind as I've talked with other parents and other people. Here's a very practical thing here. What gets, what gets, what gets my eyes more, my phone or my kids? Something real simple to encourage your kids is to look at them. These kids will be ripe for Satan's picking. But we have to know that we must give our children mercy and grace. Paul Tripp wrote a book on the 14 gospel principles for parenting. And and here's his 14th principle to be up on the screen here. No parent gives mercy better than one who is convinced that he desperately needs it himself. I love, love that principle. No parent gives mercy better than one who is convinced that he desperately needs it himself. As parents, we give constant evidence that we need God's mercy, and God gives it to us freely and abundantly. Our children show every single day that they are in desperate need of mercy. Are you merciful? We must always point our children to Jesus. There should be times as a family, as inconsistent as you may feel, as hard as it may be to get everybody together, find times to get together as a family, sit down, read your Bible, and pray. One of, my, one of, my, one of our favorite resources in our home, we have, actually have some copies out in the foyer, it's called Keys for Kids. And what it is, it's a Bible verse, a short Bible verse, it's a story, and at the end the kids have to guess what the key to the story is. So love your neighbor. Or don't fear but trust God, whatever it is. And it just walks them through so many things. Do something like that. It's short, it's simple, it drives home the gospel. Help our kids see that their sinful heart needs the crucified and risen Jesus. So is Jesus Lord of your home? Is he Lord of your life? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're a family in here and you're not a Christian family. If you trust in Jesus by believing that he died and rose again for you, he'll forgive you, give you eternal life, and come into your life. If you are Christians and you have a Christian home, is Jesus Lord of your home? Is he the focal point? God is for you. God is with you. May our prayer always be like the song we're going to sing, God give us Christian homes. Let's pray. Father, what words you've given to us in your holy word. Father, help our homes to be filled and uh, may nothing else take up its focal point other than Jesus Christ. Lord, give us Christian homes. In Jesus' name.